Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 36 of Punch Card Investing. That, that's an impressive number, if I do say so myself. We've made it quite some time. Um, not quite a year, but we'll get there soon enough. Uh, sorry I missed our, our post-New Year's stream. As you can see, we're down a couple folks since um, Tom is uh, he's on holiday, and uh, Brad, uh, unfortunately, is sick, not with COVID, so he should be all right. Um, but and we will have Jason, the after dinner investor. He'll be joining us momentarily. I uh, just had to. He's taking care of a, a couple errands real quick, but but will join so us. Uh, we give him pretty short notice. Phone with Charlie, right? Yeah, yeah, just right. Discussing right. the best idea, just yeah. Last we minute, to, yeah. We want to make sure he's really prepared for this best ideas episode. We like to do this every single quarter, kind of re up our uh, what our best ideas are. Maybe it's the same. Maybe maybe it's not. Uh, but but we'll definitely be getting into that. And always we'll be trying to answer your questions as well, especially towards the latter half of the episode. So get those questions going in the chat. Um, and before we start, and before I forget, be sure to smash that like button because that goes a long way towards helping out the channel and exposing this to new people, which is always great. Um, so while we wait for Jason to step in, um, how are you guys? I, I haven't talked to I haven't talked to you guys in what a month now. So uh, how, how are your holidays? How, how was the new year? Yeah, it's been pretty good. I haven't seen, so I did last week's episode before that. It's been about a month since I was actually on the show. So first time seeing you in a while. The holiday break was good. Um, got away to the beach, which is always nice here in Australia, um, although it's very hot here at the moment. <laughs> it is not hot here in Chicago. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, what we were in hot the... What does hot look like for you? Um, so hot here is about a 40 degree Celsius day. Um, no idea what that is in Fahrenheit, and That's I don't know what you even use, actually, Karam. Yeah, Celsius. We use Celsius. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the right for, one, the normal for one. For my fellow Americans, that's like? 104 Fahrenheit. Jeez, <laughs> that is intense. <laughs> that's We get about um, a month straight of 40-degree days. Um, yeah, that's our summer. Is it at least a dry heat, or is it, or is it real muggy, too, and humid? No, where I am, it's a dry heat, so... That helps, it helps a, a little bit. bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you got nothing to worry about. In <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, Vishal says Chicago is never hot. I, I disagree. It, it gets up to there. Not not for a month straight, but we'll have a, a week usually during the summer that's up in the uh, hundred degree range, high nineties, which would be what like thirty. 35 ish so not maybe not quite 40 that would be killing people with the the humidity in chicago <laughs> so it seems like it's always snowing in chicago like that's the first idea you get like we've, we've only had like two snowfalls this, this winter it's been super mild i mean knock on wood um <laughs> but uh that we had one week that was in um i i have my celsius converter up um but it would have been <laughs> negative <laughs> Yeah, about negative 10, negative 15 Celsius. For the rest be, of the world. Wow. Yeah, which would be about uh, 10 degrees Fahrenheit. We had that for um, a good week, which was not pleasant. And we're back up towards the towards freezing right now, which Does is like... Does any other country use Fahrenheit? Do any? I don't know. Don't not so. many. Fahrenheit what a country. stupid thing today. <laughs> There's a lot of stupid things, you know. Oh, there are others. The Bahamas, <laughs> Belize, the Cayman Islands, the U.S., uh, the Marshall Islands, basically U.S. territories. <laughs> so, yeah, anything within the U.S. sphere, it seems. Speaking of Cayman Islands, um, <laughs> there's quite a few questions up about Alibaba. So, 
<laughs> is that is that is that a best idea for anyone with Charlie doubling down? I know that was last week's episode. Karani, you looked like that was. <laughs> I'll take that as a no. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I have like one third of my portfolio and I'm just like, okay, cool. Let's just wait. <laughs> That 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 seems to be everyone, uh, everyone in the yeah. boat right now. Um, it it seems like it's turned the corner. It's up it's up towards like one thirty now uh, after the one ten low or whatever it was. So hey, maybe there's greener pastures if you're not looking to add. Uh, we shall see. Um, I guess why don't we go ahead and just start diving into what our best ideas are? Uh, Jason should be on momentarily. Um, who who wants to take a stab at it? If it's not Baba, what are we thinking? Are we are we still looking at China? Are we looking at something else? You know, Frank, I'm going to pick on you because you recently made an acquisition or not an acquisition. You didn't buy the whole company, but you added to your portfolio. Close, <laughs> yeah, <close. laughs> um, why don't you take us through that one? Because this one sounds really interesting. Um, yeah, so I'll just share my screen with you as well, so I can talk through some of the numbers because that's the main appeal to this one. Um, should come through in a second, but the company is New Zealand Media and Entertainment. It's like the name says, a media company in New Zealand. Um, it's a bit of a special situation investment. Um, so I've got some of the numbers up on the board, but the main thing I want you to see here is the segments. So there's three segments to the business um, audio, which is just your radio business, and they also have a digital aspect to that with podcasting. Um, the publishing segment, which is your typical newspaper, um, it's the main part of the business. It's most of the revenue, and they're transitioning to a digital subscription service business at the moment. That's the main part of the thesis. As the dying newspaper business fades away, um, it gets replaced with digital, higher margin, higher quality business, um, which deserves a higher multiple in the long term, which they haven't really got yet. It has been re-rated slightly over the past six months or so, but that's the main aspect of the business. Then they also have um, what's called One Roof, which is a real estate listing type business. Um, if you're AustralianRealEstate.com is probably the best example or maybe a part of Zillow in America, it's that type of business, although given it's a very small part of the business at the moment, but there is potential upside from that aspect as well. But overall, it's a, a crappy business with a, a hopefully decent business that is underlying and taking over to become a more high margin, um, high return business. So you can see the revenue numbers, sorry, the margin numbers I've put down here. Um, and for the 2023 column, these are the margins that management have guided. Um, they actually give a range and this is the low end of their range. Um, which I think even their range, it could go well and truly beyond that. So I think management have been conservative and then I'm using the conservative end of their already conservative numbers. Um, so the special situation here is as we transition, we get a multiple re-rate from these margins increasing, which gets us to our free cash flow numbers down the bottom. But the important side is the right-hand side of the spreadsheet here. You can see my returns down the bottom. Over one year, I'm expecting, if all goes well, a 62% return um, and 100% return if I hold that over for two years. The free cash flow is going to increase fairly dramatically as these margins improve. 
um, and they've initiated a buyback that starts February this year, and that's an 11% of the market cap buyback, which is going to drive that earnings per share growth or free cash flow per share growth very significantly. So I have 30% there on free cash flow per share growth, um, just over one year. And that's, again, on the conservative end. It could go a lot higher than that. Um, and then for my estimation for 2023, I didn't assume any more buybacks, but they're going to have even more free cash flow. So it is likely that that continues. Um, but even without, we get about another 10% per share free cash flow. The dividend yield is kind of the backup that you get here. You get about a 5% yield for this year. Um, even if we don't get a multiple re-rate, um, you get 5% return, which isn't bad. It's um, a bit of an opportunity cost if the multiple goes nowhere, but overall, I don't think that's anything to be too concerned about. Um, the multiple I'm using here is I'm using EV to operate in EBITDA, which is just a slight adjustment on their EBITDA number, um, but it's the best for comparisons. I'm using a seven for this year and an eight for next year, which compared to competitors around the world is still extremely low. Um, so the New York Times is a similar business model where they transitioned away from a dying media business towards this digital online subscriptions and online um, advertising business. And they traded about 25 times EBITDA, which I'm not saying this small New Zealand business deserves that high of a multiple, but that's kind of the top end of the range that you could see if everything was executed perfectly. Um, they have much more of a dominant market share compared to a business like that. In New Zealand, I think it's around 70% of the New Zealand population they access on a daily business between their different businesses. So that helps the transition towards this digital um, subscription kind of model because they can advertise so easily, whether it's through the old media or new media, to boost those subscriptions. Um, if you look at Australian comps, most of them are training at about 10 times EBITDA, um, up to around 12 to 13 times EBITDA for some of the media businesses. So still higher than the multiples, I'm assuming. Um, and I'm still getting, if all plays out, 100% return. I'll just adjust these multiples to, say, 10 and 12, which is also possible. Um, and then you can see the IRR jumps up fairly significantly. And I don't think that's out of the question. Um, and again, I think all of that is conservative. So boosting, I'll put the multiples back to how they are. And I think that's the conservative end of the valuation. But that's the thesis in a nutshell, I guess. No, before I ask a question, um, hi, Jason. Welcome. Hey <laughs> Thanks for how having me. Sorry, I'm a little late. No, no problem. How was dinner? Was it was it all good? Well, have you seen my Twitter tonight? Oh, I haven't. What was it? It was uh, four fish sticks, breaded, and um, some <laughs> broccoli. A lot of broccoli. Half the plate was broccoli. All right, so. making up for that balance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was okay. It was okay. Wonderful. Well, it's good to have you so here. Much, yeah, so much Thank broccoli. You. Your shirt turned green. What is this thing? <laughs> <laughs> so did yours. Yeah, you guys are like the exact shade <laughs> of green right now. <laughs> we coordinated before the streams. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, so Frank, Frank, I, I got a question here because you're, you're talking about the conservative side. I think the multiples would make sense if this happened. But my question is on where is the margin expansion really coming from? Is it as simple as just, okay, we're moving things online and somehow cutting costs? Like wh where, where's the 
like we see some significant expansion in the audio, like podcasting side, whatever you want to audio radio, um, fairly not, not all that significant in publishing. Um, and then very significant with one roof granted, that's a smaller portion of the business. Like where is that expansion coming from in a, in a decent case? Um, well, one roof I'll throw out. Um, you could almost just cross that out of the valuation. It would make a difference. It's that small on a basis, but that's, um, reinvesting a lot back in the business. It's small. They're trying to grow it quickly. So margins just automatically improve just from stop spending so much on reinvestment um, for that aspect. The publishing side comes directly from switching from um, the print model to the digital model. They also have a combination. I forget what they call it, but it's the print and digital combined, which some people, I don't know why, but they do subscribe to that as well. Um, but yeah, it's switching from a low margin newspaper print business to the digital um, side of the business. And when it comes to advertising, it's cheaper to put it online as well slightly. So margins improve all around the board, really. Um, there also is some cost reductions kind of happening, but the bulk of it comes from that transition. Um, and same for audio revenue. It comes mostly from uh, the podcasting aspect of the business as well. But again, the audio... I wouldn't be too concerned if nothing happened there. If it stayed how it was, even declined slightly, I don't think that matters. Um, I didn't mention the growth numbers I put out for each segment. I've put zero for audio. Um, you could put a decline on that if you wanted to. And I've only put 2% growth for the publishing revenue. You could round that down to zero and still get just as good of a return. Um, it doesn't matter as long as the free cash flow per share is growing. Um, with the buybacks, that's almost a guarantee that on a per share basis it grows. And if margins improve, then it grows significantly. Frank, so did they uh, develop one roof or is it something they acquired? How did that come about? Um, I'm actually not sure the answer to that question. It's um, a thing I've looked at very little. I know it's growing at incredible rates, but um, I've used 15% there. It's been growing at about 60 or 70% or something. But um, no, I haven't looked into that aspect of the business in detail at all. I got a question for Frank. So Frank, um, how, what percent of your portfolio would you feel comfortable with this company? Like, I'm sure you made maybe something like a 5% or 6%, 7% bet maybe. Um, but like, what would you be willing to go up to maybe say the price drop 30% for no reason? Um, would it, would you feel comfortable at 20% or is this going to stay a small position? Um, so at the moment, it's about a 6 to 7% position, roughly. Um, I'll, I do want to increase that position, but I'm kind of waiting on, there's an activist shareholder involved, which was part of this kind of transition and part of the appeal, owns around 19% of the business and just recently sold a chunk. Um, so his 19% ownership went down to about 16.5%. So he still owns a huge part of the business. Um, I'm kind of concerned on why he's doing that. A part of a big push of his was to get these buybacks happening. Um, and if he starts to sell shares while they're buying back in an illiquid company, I'll sell out straight away. Okay. Um, that would be a huge red flag. So it really matters on what he's doing there um, for sure. But he is up about 100 and something percent on his position since buying. So hopefully he just realized some of those gains and that's the reason for the sell. Um, but if it got a lot cheaper and he hasn't changed his position, then I would probably be willing to go up towards a 15, maybe 20% bet. 
Um, I passed on the company about six months ago at a price that if I knew what I knew now, I would have bet big, but um, I missed that opportunity. So it was trading about three times EBITDA at the time, which is What changed in your knowledge? When I first come across a business, I actually saw it on Twitter. A guy named Asymmetric Dando Bets pitched it. Um, And I read the thread, thought it sounded uh, a little bit interesting, I read through the investor presentation um, and just wasn't interested at all. It just seemed like a dying business. I was looking for long-term compounders, really heavily focused on that at the time and didn't really look through the special situation kind of lens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just missed everything about the appeal. Um, but then another a follower of mine actually, Shane, um, I forget his Twitter handle, but um, he pitched it to me again a few weeks ago and yeah, I realized the value of it and I took a position. So last question for me, um, what has your audience reaction been in the comments and stuff? Do you read those? Are they bullish on this? Do they not like the idea? What what are you, what feedback are you getting? I'm just curious. Um, I actually haven't noticed any major feedback. I would assume that it's not as appealing as some of the other positions I take. Um, my audience reacts to a Tencent or an Alibaba position. That's what they like to see me talk about. But when it's a boring, dying media business in New Zealand with a $300 million market cap, they don't get too excited about that. Gotcha. What are the risks here? Like the the major risks just, I doubt they would like lose market share, but is it just the market shrinking? They don't switch to digital fast enough and the, and the print business just kind of almost eats the business alive because it's too expensive. Um, is that kind of the main risk or is there something else? Yeah, their market position is so dominant. I don't think they could lose share. So you're right. I don't think that's a risk. But if the main risk is if they can't switch to this digital model, if it fails or doesn't grow much from here, then the dying publishing business is just going to kill them. That's a huge part of their revenue. So are they underway with this transition already? Like, uh, do we have some sort of track record of the transition going well, Uh, or is this like kind of pretty new still? Yeah. Digital subs. It's about three or four years. It's been ongoing, but the bulk of it's the last two years. Um, And the digital subscribers are grown at about 50%. I want to say, um, I don't have the exact numbers on in front of me, but it's around that mark. And, um, the, print side of it is declining almost as quick. So realistically, you don't need revenues to grow, but it needs to grow as fast as the publishing side of it or the print side of it is declining. Because meanwhile, expenses will decrease, revenues will be stagnant, and you're up on profits. And that's really what matters. That makes sense. So that's the main risk. And then again, this shareholder, he owns 20% of the, well, 16% of the company. If he's purposely making a illiquid company more liquid through these buybacks and uses that to sell out, then that's just a huge red flag. And that would so be time to go as activist well. What's exactly? Um, he, he's gone kind of activist on this position and management were kind of really doing nothing. They, um, they were more recently, they started to kind of push the appeal to the business to investors through investor presentations and things like that. Uh, management aren't large shareholders. They weren't really incentivized. They still aren't really incentivized to do exceptionally well. Um, so this large shareholders really encouraged that. A lot of the larger shareholders in the past were like Australian investment firms. Um, nowhere near the size of this guy, but they've all exited the position as it's a dying business. 
Um, and then I guess he kind of seen the value stepped in and is trying to realize that value and, um, yeah, un- uncover the underlying value in the business that's already there, really. Do, do you have do any hope? Oh, sorry. Sorry, Karan, go ahead. Yeah, do you know anything about like the history of this person who's come in to the company? Like, does he have past experience of getting into companies or some more of an actual um, No, I know he's like investment style. He looks for these kind of undervalued, concentrated type positions, but I don't know how much he's played activist roles in the past. And he's not like heavily activist in this one. It's kind of just pushing management to do what they should be doing by common sense. So, uh, Frank, um, do you have any hopes or any thoughts that a bigger media company is going to come buy this company? Because I know in the United States, um, there's some uh, company out there that's like buying a bunch of like local newspapers. And their whole thesis is that if we can keep getting digital subscribers across tons and tons of markets, uh, we're going to make money. Um, And they're like buying a lot of people. Um, do you think that could happen to this company? Yeah, that, and to that, that's what's been that's what ha- already happened with like radio. It's happened with a lot of newspapers. So yeah, why why wouldn't like a foreign? Um, it could be a good I, thing. Yeah, foreign competitor yeah, it, rolls it, in. What would happen? I was about to say it probably would be a great thing as long as they paid even slightly higher of a multiple than what it trades for on the market. Which, um, assuming, I'm assuming management, well. Any company, they're going to pay more for it because it's transitioning to a higher multiple business anyway. So I don't think you get an offer that's equal to the market value. So it wouldn't be the worst thing that happened. Um, I don't know how it would go with like regulations and stuff. I know they already um, have tried to buy out other businesses in New Zealand and have been pushed back on that because they'd have too much of a monopoly. I don't know if they would want that to be split. I just don't know how that would sit with um regulations or anything but it's a possibility and i don't think it's a bad thing if it did happen fair to say you traded your twitter for this stock yeah i've been tripping twitter for about a year now um and i I went into twitter on a bit of a covid play i guess a beneficiary from people shifting online pretty quickly it worked out well um but it's not the type of company that sits well with me i think it can still do really well the optionality of the business of twitter is insane um, but i think it's just very uncertain and i'd rather my money elsewhere right it's been insane for like five years now with twitter they have a lot of potential and they've always had a lot of potential and that's their mode is so so strong um it's so hard for other people to leave and yeah, if cool. management execute at Twitter, it's going to be a huge return. Like there's so many different ways they can improve revenues, um, whether it's through advertising, which is compared to other social media businesses is terrible. Um, but then so many different forms of optionality of increasing monetization, it could be well and truly higher than what it's worth at the moment. But there's no certainty of that happening. Um, so it is it is speculative, which is why I'd rather my money elsewhere. Frank, you're, um, I'm an investing with, or Frank Tabor. I'm a YouTube channel subscriber. I follow you on Twitter and I'm a newsletter subscriber and I can't wait for the 10 cent edition to come out on the newsletter. So I'm a huge fan. The passion you have for these turnaround plays, small stocks, special situations, this evolution of yours, I've been watching. It's very exciting to see you go down this road. Um, are you comfortable being, 
like a hundred percent in these kind of small cap special situation companies? Would you ever do that? Or do you still see a place in your portfolio, like a big place for the, the big mega cap companies? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Cause I struggle with that myself. Yeah. The way I've always thought about it is roughly, I would like a 60%, 60, 40% split, 60% being compounders, long-term positions that I can hold for a long time. Um, the typical high return invested capital, competitive advantage, great biz, um, management, all of that stuff. Because um, that's just the tax efficiency behind that is just very beneficial. Um, and then I would like 40% into these special situations, but I think they're harder to come by. So at the moment, I have 6% of my portfolio in special situation. The rest are all compounders. Um, so if there was enough opportunities, like it really depends on what the market's doing, I guess, whatever it offers you. But no, I wouldn't want to have a portfolio full of these. There's a couple of positions in my portfolio already that I don't plan on selling for the next 10 years at least. Um, and I wouldn't exit those positions just to, yeah, I wouldn't exit those just to buy a special situation. So, Yeah, good. Yeah, good thoughts there. I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat where uh, I really like the small cap special situation asset plays turnarounds. I see the value in them. Um, I've seen it myself with my portfolio. I see all these people you tweet about their returns. At the same time, there's that wealth preservation feeling where I like having a bunch of money in something like Apple. It just feels uh, very safe. And if that can grow too, all, all the better. So I like a mix as well. Yeah, special situations are a higher risk, higher return strategy. If you pull off a portfolio of concentrated special situations, that's how you get returns well over 100% for a year. Um, like some of the people I shared on Twitter, I actually just recorded a podcast with a guy named Paul. Um, I can't pronounce his name, last name, but Paul <laughs> from Germany. Um, he, he runs a very concentrated special situation portfolio. Um, about half of his money is in one position. And he just had 142% return last year from this type of stuff. And you're wow. not going to get that from a portfolio of compounders at all. Best case scenario, you get seven compounders that return 30 to 40%. That would be incredible yeah. Um, with a portfolio full of compounders. Um, and if you can do 20% for 20 years, then that's amazing. You're but warm while, you're, yeah, yeah. while you're younger and can take on more risk, if you have these, if you have the ability to find a lot of special situations, then it's probably worth doing. But um, I kind of fit in the middle there where I play a bit of both. And it makes sense with our, you know, our small funds um, where we're not, we're not having to move a hundred billion dollars in cash. So putting some significant portion of your net worth in a small cap special situation stock could really move the needle. Um, and you can let those things play out. Whereas like a Berkshire isn't going to be able to do this. And because in order to move the needle, they need to buy the whole company or they just wouldn't even look at it at all. It's just not worth their time. Um, so that that's, we always, we always stress that advantage. And Frank, I know you definitely appreciate that. Um, so maybe it's just kind of a size thing. Uh, and that's why it just doesn't get talked about as much because the big funds aren't looking at this sort of stuff most of the time. Yeah. And I think really low multiples, like, deep value matters here too. Like mm -hmm. um, something re-rating from three times cash flow to nine times cash flow, you get a triple on your money right there. But right. if it's trading at 20 times cash flows, then to get to 60 is just insane. So um, 
yeah, it's just not likely. So valuation <laughs> and size. We're seeing it matters. in some stocks right now. <laughs> you could convince Kathy to buy it and then she might. No. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. No. That might be the example of like kind of investing in smaller cap stocks with a fund and how it, because of all the inflows and outflows, it just like dramatically moves the price from day to day. <laughs> so that's why it's just not, it's not very feasible to do at scale. Um, that's At least that's my sense of it. Um, and last thing on that before we move on, someone just asked about the debt at New mm-hmm. Zealand Media. They've actually been deleveraging for like the last three years. They went from a huge net debt position to now just reaching net cash. So Beautiful. Um, debt, debt is far less concerning. That's um, probably a big part of the share price movement recently um, is that it was deleveraged. So that took away a lot of the risk. And then, yeah, the same reasons why I expect it to keep going from here also had a factor in that as well. And uh, to what Cresty says, uh, is special situation basically what Graham style investing, like cigar butt style? I think that's, I mean, it's definitely a, a like the kind of net net sort of thing. It's like a subset of it, uh, I think would be the best way to put it. Um, the the best thing for special situations is an early Joel Greenblatt. If you read a book like You Can Be a Stock Market Genius or even better almost is the Joel Greenblatt lectures from... Columbia, I'm guessing, in around 2005, he was lecturing there. And there's some, if you just type Joel Greenblatt class notes, um, it'll come up in Google. It's about 300 pages of his lecture notes, essentially. And that's probably one of the most valuable resources for special situation investing. But it's not too far off a Ben Graham type approach. Um, There are some differences, though. Well, so, well, that's a good one. That, uh, it's hard to follow that one up because, uh, like, that—that's one that was—I had no idea about until you brought it up, Frank. And, and and it's enticing. Like, I'm I'm looking pretty closely at it now, or at least I really want to. Um, maybe I'll clone you, Frank. <laughs> you, you'll be a you'll be you'll be a, a, one of my shameless clones. All right, um, if you're gonna clone them, let's see a seven percent position in it. Then. Yeah, yeah, exact cloning, exact cloning. Um, was that how many positions are you down to? What was that? Sorry, what's that? Say again, Scott. Oh, uh, I was just—I was asking, was that the first, uh, the first stock? Because I was a little late, and then I think Ron was asking you, Jack, how many positions you have. Oh, uh, I think it's the same as last time. Let me pull up the old tracker. Uh, I'm in the twenties, um, which is far better than a hundred. <laughs> so, um, here we are. And yeah, that was the first stock. Jason. Okay, cool. And yeah, yeah. see, we got twenty or nineteen, nineteen holdings. But though a handful are like commodities, which you can kind of count as like a basket. Um, Gold has been very quiet the last five years. Nobody. I, cares I actually need about to update this a little bit because I've made some purchases re- recently. Like Turtle Beach is up to twelve grand. I see someone's in here. Hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I need to add a little bit, but all the holdings are the same. Um, just have added to some. And you've definitely fairly heavily weighted but towards your top five or six positions yeah, as well. Yeah, let's go down to that. Yeah, here you go. Granted, purchasing square holdings is like a fund with multiple holdings in it, but you know we'll count it as one. Uh, same goes for Berkshire down here. Otherwise, Equity Commonwealth is, is big. Turtle Beach is now bigger. Foot Locker added a little bit too. Um, Smith & Wesson added a tiny bit too. And otherwise, everything else should be about the same. Um, so yeah, 
Punjab is stopping you from converting equity commonwealth into Tencent. Um, so I'm a little hesitant on China exposure because I already have a decent amount in Alibaba. It's almost five percent of the portfolio, um, and I don't know if I really want to go much higher than that. And if I were to do something, maybe I would convert Baba into Tencent, a la Monish Prabhai, because I got you know be a nice little tax loss move. Um, but man, n- n- I'm not like particularly excited to just like keep pouring the portfolio into China because it's a different set of risks and that I'm not entirely comfortable with um, to where it make up a huge portion of the portfolio yet. Maybe that'll change. Um, I see Jason yeah. has something. <laughs> oh no. Someone was just uh, asking about Brad and I just uh, was thinking about Brad. Put a smile on my face, missing missing me some bread. <laughs> I was just thinking of the way he'll be like on the show, and like when there's moments of silence, he'll be like, "So, anything else in the market you guys thinking about?" That's his hosting style, Jack. When you're gone, <laughs> Brad's a great guy. We all love Brad. I mean, that was the question of, but Jason, when I was on your podcast recently, uh, you, you put out a feeler on Twitter, like, hey, uh, ask questions for, for Jack and I's conversation. And the first question was, when are you going to have Brad on the show? Yep. And they, and they included you in the, uh, in the comment there, the tweet. That was uh, quite rude. Hey, what's up, Stock Compounders? Brad here. <laughs> uh, should we get into the next one then? I'm not following um, that. I refuse to follow that. I have no idea. It's done. <laughs> no, Just okay. a quick I, question for Jason or maybe Jack. Um, Fidelity. I think Jason uses Fidelity. Does that I have do access well. to the Australian or New Zealand market? Um, let me do a little Someone search asked right a question here. about I was actually about... checking to see, if, uh, like, just while you were talking, uh, Frank, and it, it doesn't pop up when you search the ticker. So I'm not sure. Maybe it's a different ticker symbol but if you do nzm.ax or nzm. Uh, you should uh, i'm not sure about that specific stock but if you google uh, international stock trading fidelity yeah. uh, they have or go to fidelity.com slash stock dash trading slash international dash stock dash trading <laughs> it shows the countries they do business in you might have pulled yeah. it up already i'm not looking at the screen Oh, no, yeah, um, that would be like the next step would be call the trading desk or figure out a way to get it. I'm, I'm sure they would um, since it's uh, both listed in Australia and New Zealand, which I'm sure Fidelity is yeah. cool with. <laughs> so um, shouldn't it's be so uh, easy to be cool. an investor these days. There's so much information online. There's so many great people. And it's so easy to get your hands on international That's stocks cool. like this with like no no fee or hardly I'm, any fees. I really can't imagine like investing in like, I don't know, the 70s where like you'd have you literally have to call to someone know about the stock beforehand or just get pitched on something pay them money that's that's the only way you're getting it unless like yeah and it's way harder like you could search up a whole industry and look at every stock right now like in an instant you don't need a book you don't need to dig it's just it's so much easier control f (laughs) like (laughs) it's amazing how much more powerful it is to what you were saying jason yeah and it makes it a lot harder to outperform the market too because we've lost mm-hmm. that informational edge that you could once have. Theoretically. Um, I'm talking to Jordan Nell, who um, I only know through a really detailed write-up he did on Tencent. I'm doing a podcast with him this week, and he wrote a bit about that in his shareholder letter, about that infinite, informational edge is just gone. 
Um, so he's saying to get that, you need to be probably in the top one of one percent of people that understand that business to even come close to having an edge. Well, um, which is pretty I, hard to do for someone like us. I'm not as worried about the informational edge because I feel like in something like Colgate, uh, the toothpaste company, or Coca-Cola, yeah, like everyone knows what's going on. But the company New Zealand Media you just talked about, you probably I don't know, say after the first five hours of work on that company you're now in the top 1%. And you just think about the whole market out there, the institutionals with big money that can't invest in it. It's not only them. It's like there's so many, uh, you know, millionaire next door kind of people who buy stocks and all that kind of stuff that just they would never, ever put their money in a New Zealand newspaper company. And um, I I just feel like there's a lot there. There's, there's more information out there, but it's kind of like people are the same. And um, there's just a lot of stuff people don't want to touch. And also, so th- uh, even if there's like a slight, there's no like distinct informational edge most of the time, uh, the, the emotional edge is like perhaps even it's like magnified by by the ability to easily get into the market. Like we see just these euphoric highs that, that those existed before, but they seem to be perhaps more prolonged. And I would imagine that crashes would be also more dramatic because people can easily more easily sell they're paying attention to it all the time and and that's like the big thing that swings markets it's emotion so even if yeah. like you know the company information you're not looking at it when you're panic selling so uh i i, I think it i think it evens out a good bit though um maybe i i i, I don't want to like over emphasize that like okay there's no edge now and the markets are efficient because i think we all don't believe that <laughs> so i should clear up i think there's lots of edges we have but specifically informational edge is limited right. i think jason's point That's is true. the best one to look at smaller liquid companies that mm-hmm. the majority of money in the market can't look at is the only place i think you can find a true informational edge yeah. Yeah. like there's nothing i'm going to find out about 10 cent that a hundred other analysts don't know 10 times more I don't have as much of an edge there. My only edge there is really that people are scared of investing in China. Right, um, emotional edge. But um, yeah, when it comes to information-wise, there's a lot of people that understand that business well and truly more than me. Watch out for another edge that's available to people like us. There's an edge sometimes where people understand that there's stocks that you can buy, but they want nothing to do with that industry. That happened to me with Ring Energy and oil and gas like in 2020. Um, and yeah, 2020, I guess because of like political reasons and, um, also because of the, the virus and stuff, so much of the market didn't want oil and gas at all. They just didn't even want to look at it, even if they knew there was a bunch of value there. And I think that can be an edge from time to time. Uh, like markets are going to get unpopular. I've heard in the last few months that that's going on with, uh, maybe, it's not anymore with all the inflation, but I think commodities for a while, um, like mining companies and stuff, were pretty ignored. Um, so that can happen from from time to time. So that tweet that you mentioned earlier, I shared three people with the best investment returns I could come across, and they were about 140% for last year. In the comments, someone shared with me, Josh Young is his name. He runs only He runs a fund. Um, and it's only oil and gas, and he had a 300-something percent return last year. So that makes he sense. definitely took advantage of that edge. Yep, totally makes sense. Shall we get into another holding now, or another best idea? <laughs> We're 40 minutes in, and we've only got through yeah. one. So. Yeah, we've got one. Um, Zach, you want to take 
the next uh, idea? I, I guess so. Um, like, I don't want to say Turtle Beach again, but that's what I, it, it got back down into the low 20s, and that's what I've been buying the most of. Um, but the other, my, my three newest holdings that I've really added in the last month uh, have been Foot Locker, um, Sleep Number, and Smith & Wesson. Those have been my my, my three big, uh, big additions um, while I've been subtracting a number of other holdings. Uh, but the most money I, I diverted, or the most money I invested this past month at least has been towards turtle beach because it's back in the low 20s um and i think here let me pull up there there's a lot of people my, my general thesis of turtle beach is that it has nice cash flow not a bunch of debt um they should be able to grow at a decent clip as long as like the video game industry does okay and as they move into the pc space away from like console headsets because that's kind of their main uh focus or has been for a long time jack are they net cash or like very low debt uh, yeah, they, they have no debt. Um, and I want to actually show their balance sheet because some interesting things happened in the last couple of quarters that maybe have shied some people away because their cash flow looks really low all of a sudden because they have been adding a, adding a bunch to their inventories preparing for this Q4 and partly because of supply chain issues and all this stuff. So they put a bunch of bunch of their cash and cash flow from the last two quarters into inventory. And they have like twice as much that they normally have, um, or at least they did going into Q4. Uh, so it's not as though, it was, you know, the cash was just burned. It was literally moved into inventory. And here we go. Inventory right here. You can, you can see how much way higher than, than it normally is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, here you go. Here's a bar chart. Like, look how much higher their inventory is compared to what it has been. And and 2020 was like a tr- tremendous year for them. Um, so they needed a lot. And it's still higher than that because they were trying to prep for this Q4. So they put a lot of money towards that and it made their cash flow look really low. And we'll see what happens this Q4. This, I think, will be really telling for the direction the company goes in for the next probably couple of years. Uh, if they can navigate these supply chain issues, keep expanding their PC market stuff, maybe make some acquisitions like they have been. Uh, while not diluting shareholders too hard in the meantime, which is probably the biggest problem with Turtle Beach. Um, so I was going to say that the two two reasons I passed on Turtle Beach a while back was firstly dilution, which I think is about, if you average it out, it's around 10% or so per year. So it's significant dilution. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing was the cyclicality nature of that doesn't come from their business. It's more so from the console cycles that kind of happen, which with headsets, which is the main portion of their revenue. Um, they are relying on new consoles, as that's typically when people also buy new headsets. So um, I think they're at the peak of that cycle possibly right now with the new consoles that have come out. Um, so I don't know how that looks for the next four or five years. I guess if you're a long-term shareholder, that matters less. Um, but yeah, short-term, I don't know how that plays out. That, that definitely is. Um, and, and they recognize that, which is something that I definitely appreciate with the company in that they're, they realize like, okay, this is very cyclical. We're trying to move into something probably more you know sustainable like uh, PC accessories, which is why they've made the acquisitions they have with... The um, right. Yeah, exactly. And that segment of their business keeps growing um, at a pretty... I, th- I think uh, the last year they, they grew their PC market or their PC accessory business by like 15 to 20%. So it's like a significant growth rate there. Even if like the headphone uh, segment, it keeps throwing off cash flow, almost like a dividend for the company. It's not going to grow very much uh, and it's very cyclical, but if they can kind of d- rotate some of that uh, value into PC, 
then I think that's where the real growth trajectory is. Um, and so far, so good there. The question is how far they can take that, of course. Jack, I love getting into companies that have like offers for their business at a much higher share price than the current price. <laughs> so my question is to you, how real is that thing going on? Is that a real offer? Are there other people making offers or is it just one company that the company probably won't end up selling itself to? We were talking about it just before the show, actually, Karan and I. Because um, it so tempts it, me. It tempts me so much. Yeah. It, so this has been going on for a few months. Like Turtle Beach has had this apparently really great looking offer from the Donnerell group who I had never heard of before this whole thing started. And apparently they're a decent sized shareholder. They claim they own like 5% of the company when apparently they really just have a bunch of options and then own a lesser share. I'm not sure the exact allocation, but uh, they're, they're trying to say that they're trying to buy Turtle Beach for over, over 30 bucks a share right now. It's trading at like 21 and Turtle Beach is saying, like, no, you haven't shown us your financials. They actually shared what they had showed, and, and it didn't show that they had enough funding to actually make the acquisition. And the reason Donnerell says they want to make this acquisition is so they can take the company in a different strategic direction. So that's the reason for not just buying shares on the open market. They don't want to bid themselves up. They want to get like a majority share. Uh, but it it seems pretty thin. And they've, they're going on this big PR campaign talking about how Turtle Beach isn't giving them a fair shake and, and all this. And it, it sounds, um, it's it's pretty fishy, let's say. So I'm not really counting on it. I mean, it's a good sign, I guess, that like there's some sort of interest to pump the share price. <laughs> but uh, it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it too seriously unless there's more proof. At least that's not what I'm. That, yeah, I would, I withdraw my question. I remember you made a video reading the, uh, statement that um, Turtle Beach released in response. And this one right here, yep. It was very, it was strong, and it convinced me that I don't need to be thinking about this offer. That yeah. it's not likely. That was my At opinion first, when I first started. I thought, oh, like this is really interesting, and and it shows that like the uh, the Turtle Beach board is in line with like a long term shareholder, but. Uh, it, it, I that probably was not the case, especially seeing what's happened uh, as this has yeah. matured into nothing. <laughs> do you think so. um, Apple could ever buy them, or like where do they fit in? Is there bigger tech companies that would they make sense to fit into them? <laughs> kind of like what we were talking about with NZM. That that is a, a potential uh, route for Turtle Beach for like a potential acquisition at some point. That's happened within the gaming space. I mean, they're doing that themselves. They're buying smaller uh, accessory companies like like Rocat, and then also uh, with neat microphones, maybe they'll do something else. But they're still not huge. They're three hundred million dollars. It's a significant share, um, but that could be where they end up long term. A larger gaming or or tech company will go ahead and buy them to open up their. They just want some console market, uh, console headset market share. They they want to get into the PC market share if Turtle Beach builds builds that up big enough. It's it's a potential. They haven't really said that they're trying to do that. Donrell is suggesting that that's what will happen for sure. But you know, take it with a grain of salt. And why is it cyclical? What is that about? So that is with consoles like, take the PS5 and the new Xbox recently coming out. That would drive a lot of their console headset sales and console headsets are the majority of their revenue right now are pre i think just over half i i need to check on what it is now that the pc market is growing but it's 
it's a very significant portion of their revenues and has been for a long time. So okay. as new consoles come out, they're often literally paired in the box with the with the new with the new consoles. So they've had this kind of recurring revenue stream whenever new consoles come out because of that. And that's great. But when there's no new consoles, you're not going to do anything. Or if there are problems with distributing consoles, that's another problem that we're seeing right now. You're, you're not going to get as much sales there. So it's kind of like, I know Frank's done some analysis on like Nintendo, same sort of problem with like cyclicality. They rely a lot on actual consoles being sold. This is sort of tangentially related to that. They rely on consoles being sold so that people need accessories for their consoles. And that's why they want to get into the PC space, which is a little, it decouples a bit from, from that. Well, um, last question for me. Uh, pandemic, everyone's working from home, blah, blah, blah. Do they have a role in that growth probably of headsets for professionals when they're working at their computer? Do they have any market share there or is it a separate thing? Um, I, I don't know if they segment that out. It's de- it definitely falls under the gaming niche, but you could use them for whatever. They're, they have some modest looking ones as well as like the crazy gamer looking ones. What do you think of mine? Do you like them? Yeah, they're, they're all right. <laughs> Wonderful. You're not going to get any money from Quran. No. He's not you won't be pleased to know guy. that I, I used to have a Turtle Beach headset, and I just replaced my headset, and it's no longer Turtle Beach. Oh, no. <laughs> Sell the stock. Um, <laughs> I, I know if we're talking about more on like the professional side, like the neat microphone thing is less gaming focused. They, they, it's more like podcasting and, and kind of like broadcast focused. They, they don't really market that much to gamers uh, from what I've seen. So those that's kind of where you're going to see the separation is in the different businesses that they might acquire. Jack, how is totally stacked up against, say, Logitech or Corsair? Like, those are the two competitors that come to mind. Are there others? It kind of depends on what you're looking at, because in the console headset space, that they, they've had that locked for a long time, and that's probably not going anywhere. It's in the PC space. Yeah, there's going to be serious competition there. So... Uh, I actually looked at Corsair briefly because, um, you know, it's the same space, same general kind of growth trajectories, but I just didn't like the price it was at. So maybe if Corsair came, comes down, I would be more interested in that. But uh, And I also like the fact that um, Turtle Beach has good cash flows and has for a while and had a really nice balance sheet position. So that was a big reason I went for that over something like a Corsair. Not that Corsair is a bad company by any means. So we shall see there. I think Corsair was also getting into like lighting and all sorts of other stuff. So they all seem to be diversifying away from consoles. Like, like it's related diversification, unrelated to some extent. I don't know. How do you guys see that? Is it sensible diversification or they're just diversifying for the sake of diversifying? I think long term they have to diversify away from consoles because consoles will be virtually non-existent at some point. It'll be some type of cloud-based thing or switch more mm-hmm. towards PC type gaming. Um, so they have to diversify away from it. Um, there's a company in Southeast Asia called Razer, which is another competitor um, in the headset space, but they've diversified completely away into kind of financials um, as well as like actually selling laptops, like they've gone fully down the PC route as well because it is a limited amount of um, growth within the gaming headset market. Mm-hmm. 
Jack, I like this. Are cool. Yeah. <laughs> I like this question to the, that Ba asked you. What, why do you like Foot Locker? Um, so this is an interesting one. I was kind of hesitant on on retail in general, naturally, just because you know who who would invest in retail. But there's a there's a pretty significant kind of like culture following with with Foot Locker that I think is going to continue to grow. They're, they have a pretty good handle on like not a handle, but they're definitely in tune with kind of the sneaker culture in in the U.S. especially. The question is how much can they grow internationally? Because I, I don't think they can grow that much more in the U.S. And they're trying to do that. They've made some acquisitions recently, especially focused on like Japan. Um, also, uh, they, they also in the uh, West Coast as well, beyond just shoes, but kind of like clothing and accessories, that sort of stuff. Uh, but shoes is going to be their big thing. And they are actually consolidating their store portfolio because that's what every retailer is doing. <laughs> and it's, uh, and their revenues have not dropped as they've consolidated stores, which is interesting. So their existing stores, you could say, are getting stronger while they're getting rid of weaker stores, <laughs> a la Seridage, I suppose, right? And uh, I, I don't know where that trend ends exactly, but overall, they're in a pretty good cash flow position, which is always one of the first things they look at. And um, as long as they can kind of keep up, they, they don't need to grow at an explosive rate, but uh, and a big question will be how they do in, in like the next downturn. But I, I that's kind of like the main narrative I'm going off of is they have a, they're in tune with like the sneaker culture. And I, I don't think they'll, they'll suffer because of that. Interesting. And multiples it are looks, really, really, uh, yeah, and I was going to say it, it looks cheap. Yeah. And that was, that was the first draw is it, it's the multiples are real low. So that gets me interested right away. Like what's going on here. And if things look pretty stable and, and multiples are low, like that's a good start. So that, uh, otherwise though, I'm, I'm still putting most of my money towards, um, uh, turtle beach, but turtle I think beach. foot locker would be a close number two right now. You've got a position in foot locker. Oh, I do. Okay. Uh, it, it's, uh, probably my, oh, let's pull up my tracker again. It was, it's like my, it was 4.2%. One, two, three, four, five. My fifth? Fifth largest holding? Yeah. What is it 4.2%? No, it is. Oh, I haven't I haven't reallocated. Probably about 7%. Seven? percent Seven? Mm-hmm. Wow. And then Turtle Beats is about. I can have it. Goran, you're having problems too? I'm having problems with the feed. I can't hear that, yeah. I guess it's just Jack. Me? You're back now. Okay. You were like in us. Yes. You were faded away. We could barely. Oh, hear that's you. odd. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what that was. Um, Jack is. Yeah. Jack is it getting bright too? Like. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it seems there's a lot more sun. Anyway. <laughs> for me? Yeah. No, for Frank. Oh, for, I think oh yeah, mine probably is. I've yeah. got a window in front of me. Okay. Yeah, my right. Uh, yeah, I got my right microphone on, and so I don't know. What's going Basking on. in the gains of KPG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let, uh, we're, we're approaching an hour here, so, so Jason Crown, we got to get your best ideas here. Jason, go for it. <laughs> okay, well, um, my best idea, and I mean this, is uh, process. Uh, it's been a long week. I'm not good at detailed uh, numbers and all that kind of stuff. It's gone up in the last few days. 
Um, but before it went up, maybe like five or six percent, my recollection doing this a few days ago was that you can buy process. It is buying a dollar of assets. Uh, 75 cents of those assets is 10 cent. And you can buy that one dollar for essentially 54 cents. Uh, it's a way to get into 10 cent. But again, there's that huge discount on the net asset value. There's not a lot of debt involved in the situation at all. Process is net cash, three billion, or around there. Uh, Ten cent is net debt, three billion, but that's very small for the amount of assets they have. Process is buying back shares. Uh, it's a super investor clone. The CEO of Process just bought ten million dollars, which I learned from you guys uh, last week. So thank you for that. And um, Karan asked last week, "What's the bear case for Process?" Other than the, the regulatory risk in China, other than that, I don't really see the bear case. Um, and I'm extremely enthused about it. And I feel like it has a massive margin of safety. It has upside. And I'm in love with it. Jason, are you familiar with the fact that they just um, raised some money by issuing bonds? Process or Tencent? And I'm not, no, not familiar with that. Chat, they've raised some money with euro bonds. Looks like um, one billion, one billion. Five is it? Say, is it saying they've added five billion dollars of debt? Yep. Okay, cool. I like that. Um, I made a video the other day. Uh, I think talking about Seritage, and at the end, I talked about Process, and I talked about how I did not like the debt situation at Seritage, and. Even though one of my aspects that I like about Process and Tencent is that there's not a lot of debt involved, I said I'd be I'm okay with them taking on more debt uh, for them to do the things uh, that they're doing. Um, I feel okay about it. I like the management. I like the capital allocation. Um, question: Do we know why they took on this debt? Is it to fund buybacks or investments, or just it's because? a two point seven seven percent for like? When's it mature in 2034? That's lower than Jack's rate. I mean, why would you not raise money at these rates? I see another billion and 250 million at 5% doing 2052. Yeah. So I like it. And then a 1.2% note doing 2026. That's like nothing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jack, you were at what, 2.9%? 2. Yeah, 2.99. Yeah. Plus a, plus a little bit of like fees, but it it's probably ends up being like 3.0 something. So it sounds like everyone's pretty familiar with Process. I know Karan and Frank are shareholders, I believe. Um, so that leaves the odd man out, the man sitting in Chicago, the man looking down at his computer. Yeah. <laughs> Jack, do you not have FOMO thinking about Alibaba versus uh, this Process situation with the massive discount? Hey, maybe if I had more cash, but <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm pouring cash in a, I, I'm pretty much fully invested. So as money comes in, it's, it's going towards something. Um, and I'm focusing a lot more on trying to find another real estate deal than um, adding more money to China. That's, that's kind of, that's kind of the way it works. I, I, I get it's not technically China, but it kind of is. <laughs> um, so I got gotcha. you. Um, we have a question from real Warren Buffett 69. I wonder if that's the man himself in Omaha. <laughs> no way to know. Um, he says, what would you do if Monish sells out of process? What would you do? Um, Jack, you and I were talking about this today when we did a, a recording on cloning. 
I would take it as a strong check-in point and I would reevaluate the situation, but I would not uh, just sell because he's selling. Um, like I do sometimes with my super investors, I am shameless enough to just buy because they buy before I've even looked at a company. Sometimes I do that uh, if the price is right and if I feel like it, but uh, with selling, I would just use it as a check-in point to, to reevaluate the situation, but I wouldn't necessarily just sell uh, because he sells. I would be surprised if he sold. I would be surprised if he sold soon because I know there's been a few investments lately where he's talked about them and then he's decided to sell. Um, but I w- I'd be surprised if he did it on this one. It sounds like the conviction is very, very strong. Um, I can throw out uh, an interesting bear case for us. It more applies to Tencent, but of course anything that happens to Tencent happens to process. Um, from a... This is in the last few days. Pony Ma, CEO and founder of Tencent, um, had mentioned it was in a private speech and he said something along the lines of that Tencent is completely replaceable and we've benefited hugely from the growth in China over the past 20 years. Um, What do you make of comments like that from Pony Ma? What I make about comments like that is that you think that is the bullish most bullish thing you've ever heard about Tencent. And you love that the founder manager of that company is talking that way. <laughs> I like that comment. It's the it's the Amazon day one kind of thing. Um, now, any manager can say that, but um, with his track record, I feel like it's probably pretty backed up by that's the way he feels. Um, and I think he's right. Uh, reading about some of these other companies in China, like Do Yuin, or whatever it is, their version of uh, TikTok. Um, it is a, obviously they have a massive moat. And the way I think about Tencent is it kind of seems like Apple in the sense that Apple owns the operating system. And if everyone lives online in China through Tencent, they own that kind of operating system like platform. So the moat is very strong. They have all these investments, they have the video game stuff. But at the end of the day, uh, if people start taking their eyeballs and their time each day and moving to other apps like this Duo Yuin or whatever it's called, uh, that does scare me. And uh, it also scares me because I don't have the same grasp of the situation in China, the online situation, like I do in the United States. I don't know anything about those other companies, um, hardly compared to what I know about like Facebook's position versus like TikTok here and stuff like that. So, that is definitely a risk, um, and um, I'm, I like that he's saying things like that. But, yeah, it, uh, no one's mode is is secure forever, and it does seem like there is some powerful uh, competition in the kind of like the way you spend your time online kind of space in, in China. So it is definitely a concern. It's interesting from Pony Ma specifically because he's such a quiet CEO. He never addresses anything publicly. Um, and again, this is from a private speech somewhere. I don't even know where, but it has been put out to the public either way. Um, I think it's a bit of the, I think it's from Peter Thiel that says um, monopolies are always trying to say that they're not a monopoly, while non-monopolies are trying to prove that they are a monopoly. Great quote. Um, and I yeah. think it's a bit of, I think it's a bit of that from Pony Ma, um, particularly with regulatory crackdowns. So um, it's interesting either way. They also did just release their. I don't know the proper word for it, but the code for their operating systems for WeChat and everything else and made that public. So they're kind of de-risking some of these regulatory things and kind of providing a spot for the market to enter as competitors, which I don't think concerns them 
whatsoever. One thing I think a lot about Tencent these days is um, it through video games and through their investments, it seems like they have this path to almost get out of China, if you will, with a lot of their capital and investing. And, and I'm very curious to see what they do over the next five years in terms of spreading that capital around the world. Um, because you think about a company like Fortnite, um, Fortnite, you think of this American company, they're in like North Carolina or South Carolina, a uh, classic American story, entrepreneur started a business. Now he's a billionaire. And then I read the other day, I'm pretty sure this is right. That like Tencent owns a big chunk of whatever owns Fortnite. So Epic games, yeah. Epic games. Okay. And so it seems like they've got their tentacles, if you will, all around the world. And if they're going to grow, it seems like everybody already uses uh, WeChat and WePay and all that in China. Now I know there's the cloud potential in China, um, but I'm just, I'm hoping that there's some massive growth worldwide in these investments and maybe different products that can make around the world for people. Um, that could be an awesome thing. And if Monish says that there's a chance they could be the biggest company in the world, uh, they're going to have to do stuff like that because I think their market cap, Tencent now is like, uh, is it like 500 something billion or something? So yeah. that's a long way away from Apple's almost 3 trillion. So if they are going to catch up, uh, some interesting things are going to have to happen. Fascinating story though. I've, I've just totally, I fell in head over heels. And by the way, I'm still in the honeymoon phase, so I don't want to think about these negative questions. <laughs> yeah, you just bought. Oh, oh, I'm buying, Jack. Still I'm, buying. I'm brought- buying. I'm 27% allocation, and I'm buying everything I can. The write-up I'm doing on Tencent <laughs> at the moment. Um, yeah, the research going into that for my newsletter is making me even more bullish on Tencent, like realizing it's even a higher quality company than I originally thought. Like it's absolutely insane. Like what they've done over the past few years. Um, from their IPO, they've been a 45% annual return. So the credit to Pony Ma should be incredible for that. The book Outsiders, um, and I write about this in the newsletter by William Thorndike, and he talks about the best eight CEOs or capital allocators of all time. It has Buffett, um, it has Singleton, John Malone, people like that. Um, one of the metrics he uses is total shareholder return annually over a long time period while the CEO is in place. Um, and I think Pony Ma outperforms every single person in that book. It gets hard when you take someone like Buffett, who's done 20% for 60 years, and yeah. to compare that to 45% for 23 years. It's, um, yeah, it's hard to judge something like that, but it's pretty insane either way. Would you consider rolling Alibaba into Tencent, a la Monish? A la After Dinner Investor? Yes. <laughs> um, I personally wouldn't know. I think the cloud upside from Alibaba could make the returns well and truly better than Tencent. It's just far less uncertain and more risky. The quality is in Tencent by far. I feel more safe with my money in Tencent, but I think better returns could come from Alibaba. If this cloud thing really happens, right? If they maintain a 40% market share in the cloud market in China, um, I think it's almost guaranteed that they're, that the cloud business is worth more than the current market cap. Frank, let me uh, run this by you. On Amazon, there's a book coming out in June 
called Tencent, The Extraordinary Story of a Chinese Internet Enterprise by Wu Jiebo, if I pronounce that correctly. And we have the house that Jack Ma built about Jack Ma, great book. But when I was looking and researching into Tencent, there's like, seems to be very little about Pony, Pony Ma and about the Tencent story in terms of books. Um, so this looks like a serious book. Uh, and it looks like it's going to be in English. So, um, yeah, it is going to be in English. So I'm very much, I've already pre-ordered it. Um, I'm looking forward to diving into that this summer. Yeah, I think that will be great. I think um, he's Pony Ma's very underappreciated, particularly in the West. And because he is quiet and doesn't very speak quiet. publicly barely at all, um, I think the story is pretty unknown. Um, but I think... He's top five capital allocators of all time. And by the end of his life, I think he could be towards number one. Frank, uh, I have not done this yet. So it's something I need to do. So if you haven't done it either yet, uh, no shame. Because, again, I haven't done it. But we heard Monish talk about reading the NASPERS uh, transcripts and their annual letters to see what NASPERS management had said about Tencent. That's how he actually learned about Tencent because he said what Tencent puts out is pretty quiet. Um, have you done that yet? Um, and do you plan to do that if you haven't? No, I, I haven't actually at all. It probably Neither would be interesting to dive back that far. Um, I did, through my research, kind of during the founding, I write about the founding period of Tencent. And I realized there's a lot more to that investment by NASPERS than I realized. Mm -hmm. um, without that investment, Tencent probably wouldn't exist today. They were going through wow. a legal battle about changing their name. They cloned a company um, in might have been Israel or some other country anyway. They cloned the business. Yeah. They virtually had the same name, um, and they went through a legal battle. They had a lot of costs for that. Server costs in China were, like, insanely through the roof, and they couldn't afford. Um, they were a zero-revenue business um, at the time that they were going through this. So they had, um, I think, maybe 100 million or 10 million users or something. Like, they were a big platform but no revenue. Um, and that thirty or sorry, sixty million dollar investment from NASPERS pretty much kept them afloat. Um, and one of the other investors had to kind of exit some of their position to allow Pony Ma to remain a large shareholder in the company. Wow. Um, yeah, I've, I've got to go back and read those because uh, it just sounds so interesting. So that's on my list. Um, have you come across the Vineyard Holdings ten cent write up? Yeah, that's who I have on my podcast this weekend jordan nell is his name oh wow. it's um that's the best write-up i've ever read in my life i think have you recorded it yet or uh no um okay. tuesday australian time i'll sit down well uh pass him a, a thank you from the after dinner investor because that that thing i i try to promote it anytime i talk about tencent because that's where that's where it clicked for me where where tencent clicked for me i actually kind of under feel like i could understand their business and beautiful uh amazing write-up my last question for you, for all of you guys, um, how I'm 27% into process right now, allocation wise, how high would all of you let your process allocation, 10 cent allocation go if the prices kind of stay where they are? What would you feel comfortable with? A thousand times what it currently is. <laughs> um, I'd be happy to go as high as maybe 20 15, 20%. Um, that's kind of what I wanted to be, but my portfolio has just performed. Well, Kelly Partners Group performed really well. So it's taken my allocation down to about 10%. Mm -hmm. uh, 
or 12% maybe. Um, so I'll be willing to go a little bit higher, but I don't plan on adding anytime soon. Um, just another thing that you'll probably like, Jason. So Jordan Nell from Vineyard Holdings. Um, I hope I, I can disclose this. I think I'll talk about it on the podcast, but he owns Process, um, not Tencent. So he did access it through the Process route as well. Okay, good. Good to know. Uh, Karan, how high would you go with this process investment? I'm at 15%. Would you go higher if it stays the same price? I've been just putting money into discovery. So, okay. Yeah, I prefer discovery over process. Interesting. Is um, that your best idea, prices. Yeah, but I'm not going to be talking about it still. So, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I, I think if we get. Tom and Brad back next week. We could continue this best ideas. Get Qurans out All there. Right, let, let's let's do that. And for for some reason, if you let the six man in again, um, I'm going to bring in tons of stuff about Discovery. I'm going to say wild, crazy things about Discovery, and I'm going to make Quran so <laughs> mad, and he's going to think I'm so done. He's going to have to correct the record about Discovery what? and tell us what he sees there. Hey, well, whether you're whether you're live or not, you can be in the chat roasting them oh, I'll for there. sure be in the and I'll, I'll keep i'll keep putting it on the screen can you guys please do me a favor like this is why we do this, this is why we talk about <laughs> investing with friends and peers please slow me down on process please tell me there's risk i need to look out for i besides the china regulatory risk and all that and my odds on that are always about 10 percent. i think there's a 10 percent chance really bad things could happen to shareholders but i think it's very likely they won't do that why should I not go 50% in this position? Why should I not do that? Like, I don't see downside besides the small risk. What do you guys say to that? Slow well, me down here. As with any fund, um, there's always a chance the discount doesn't close, or at least not as much as you would want. Um, that That's always a risk. Um, I don't really have anything concrete for us to why that wouldn't happen, but hey, it hasn't closed yet. So it, the discount is not. I mean, it's irrelevant in a way for process. I don't really expect the discount to close yeah. at all. Um, it's How could that added... discount sit at 54 cents? I don't see that happening. I mean, I think it's going to close to some extent. That just seems crazy to me. Like you get at your hands on a growing company, very, very low debt situation, and it just sits at half off all the time. Uh, I, I, think, I think it will sit there for a long time. I think the... Um, tax implications of selling the Tencent investment at some time period in the future um, is huge. I think the complicated structure between South Africa, Netherlands, and China, there's so many risks involved throughout that chain that it yeah. deserves a fairly big... It, it's pretty arbitrary what you choose that discount to be, but I wouldn't expect it to close, and I don't think you need it to. I think... Um, you're pretty much relying on the 10 cent position to carry the returns. And then the additional upside that comes for free is the investment or the VC portfolio. What would you but say? The current discount is irrational. Yeah. The current discount is if the current discount is going to reduce, but it's not going to go, I think, more than like 20, 25%. It's always going to save that 20, 25% discount. Do, do you guys think every time they sell up, uh, whether it's like process selling off or monetizing one of their own non 10 cent assets, the other 25 cents of the dollar, or anytime 10 cent does this uh, JD kind of stuff where they sell off portions of stuff they own and people actually see billions of dollars now available. Uh, do you think that helps? What does that do? Cause it seems like it attracts attention or it seems positive to some extent. Um, but if they do more of that stuff, do you think people will get more interested? 
it's the best thing ever for process. Um, I don't know. It's good for Tencent as well, obviously, um, but I think it's even better for process because it gives them cash. Um, they can hold on to their Tencent position, not have mm-hmm. to eat up that tax implications by selling off slowly over time, which is what they really have to do. Um, and they can buy back chairs at a huge discount or they can reallocate towards higher returns in their VC fund, um, which I would assume they can do. And they would have a big say in Tencent actually making these decisions to kind of these special dividends and things that could come out. But there's so many things that could happen with Tencent's portfolio to like make the market recognize value. You talked about Epic Games before. I think if they listed that company, it would be worth an insane amount of money. Um, whereas I would guess the market's value in that at about, they've got a 40% position. They're probably valuing it at around $20 billion, which is very low for what it's worth, I think. Um, there's a lot of things they could do. Okay, last question about this, uh, and then maybe I can give my take on Discovery um, <laughs> because I have a background with Discovery. Uh, uh, for, with uh, with Prosys and their non-Tencent holdings and Tencent with their holdings, is there a real chance, maybe it's only 5% chance, a 3%, 10% chance, whatever. Is there a real chance that the next Tencent, the next Alibaba is inside of Tencent right now or inside a process? And I actually, and I, we could actually not just get like a nice return from the Tencent situation, but actually possibly get like a 30 bag or a 50 bag or something crazy. In the next two decades, could something crazy happen with something that's hidden in there? Um, or given their management style and their investing style, could something happen? Or am I just dreaming? I mean, I think even Koos Becker could not imagine how large Tencent would get when mm-hmm. he was investing in it. So I think same situation here. It could. They if we're, just, if they're playing yeah. that game, you're saying it could, if they're playing that tech yeah. investing game. Okay. I think Tencent particularly within their portfolio, and then this goes on to apply to process because they presumably have access to the same same things. They're working with a database that is like 50-fold what anyone else would ever have access to to kind of predict the future in the world of gaming and a few other kind of different things that if anyone's going to pick this huge return, it's likely to be Tencent in that space. But they are very diversified into tiny dollar amounts into these companies so how much value that creates i don't i don't really know but if anyone was going to pick it i wouldn't be surprised if 10 cent did cool jason have you seen the previous like the older kuspecker videos the lectures that he's given to universities and stuff no i need a i need a look i didn't even know there were videos of him out there i need a are they on youtube yeah, they're on YouTube. And, and this was this is the Nasper's current chairman, former Nasper CEO. Maybe he's the CEO Who's still, back? but he's the guy that made this investment in Tencent. Yep. Okay. Cool. Yeah. No, I need a I need to dig great. into that so much. Those are fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. cool. Yeah. Thanks for those resources, guys, and those comments. You want your last minute jab at Discovery, um, and then we could wrap up. Oh yeah, it's not a jab. So my my history with Discovery is uh is uh John Malone bought into Discovery. Is someone getting static right now. Or I can it? hear that too. All right, it's gone. Try again. Is that Brad or Tom just trying to? Yeah, <laughs> the ghosts. Um, I I bought into Discovery at like twenty two, twenty three dollars a share a while ago. Um, it was a pure John Malone clone. He had talked about Discovery in a CNBC interview in like 2019, I think. Um, 
it was trading maybe at like four to five times free cash flow. And I, I thought it was a cool investment. Um, I was a customer myself. I watch a lot of like HGTV and stuff. Um, and I was like, okay, I can get a 23% uh, free cash flow yield on my investment. I'll take that. It's a John Malone clone. I held it. I got lucky. Something happened with some someone out there and the stock price went up to 80. I sold half my shares at 80. Um, and then I sold the rest at like 40. Uh, my interpretation of the situation, and Quran can let me know if I'm correct or not, um, is that you still have that discovery company. You still have discovery. Uh, it's run up recently um, a little bit, but it was basically maybe like a 20% free cash flow yield, something like that. Not a super growing company, and they have a lot of debt, but the debt goes all the way out John Malone style for decades and decades, and so it's not super risky. But you're getting a nice free cash flow yield, maybe an irrational one. Maybe Discovery should be worth more on its own. But now they're going to merge. They're going to merge with the Warner assets that uh, AT&T is going to spin off. And they are going to create a competitor to Disney Plus and Netflix. And that competitor, primarily HBO Max, that's what I think they should do. That product, to me, it's a better product than Disney Plus. It's a better product than Netflix. I think they have better content. I think they have more diversified content when they spin it out. And I know for myself and the kind of content we watch in my home, there is a 100% chance that we're going to be locked into HBO Max happily for a super long time. And at some point, if the market values that combined entity anywhere close to Disney Plus with Disney and, and Netflix, it's going to be a super multi-bagger. I just, but there's also going to be a lot of debt involved when they combine companies. So, Quran, nod if if you think I'm correct. Yeah. Shrug if you think I'm correct. Sounds <laughs> good. <laughs> we 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 lost Frank. I'm not sure what happened there. He dropped. I don't see him in the room. I think I'm just a bit still. I'm just a bit skeptical about the merger working out. Until it's done, it's not done. In Karan, does so, this make sense? I've seen people say that they don't want the merger to work out, that they like discovery. They think it's going to be good for discovery on its own if if it doesn't happen. Everyone has an opinion. So let me I ask think, you this. What when are when will you speak on um on discovery? Because I'm very curious. And why haven't honestly, you? Honestly, I don't have any great insight as opposed to what everyone else knows. So it's not like he doesn't want to jinx something. it. He doesn't want I'm to jinx just it. trying to like that's avoid it. if I talk about something and then I change my mind about it later, that's it's basically for my own biases. It's not for um, gotcha. any like, great insight. Or that is the yeah. danger we all run as creators. And <laughs> once you put it out there, there's a pridefulness to it. It's hard to shake. Yep. Yeah. For and sure. Plus, I've seen like two deals like fail in the past year. With <laughs> Equity Commonwealth that... is one. <laughs> yeah. Urging so Square, just... number two, sort of. I, I have a I have a high confidence this deal is going to go through. Same here. They 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 put so much time on the table. That's one reason I think the market didn't like the announcement is because it was like this. I don't know. Was it the spring of twenty three or something crazy like that? Mm -hmm. It was like a long long time. Uh, and then um, why? Like who's got beef with this this uh, deal? Like AT and T shareholders and management want it. It's not it's not them. So the whole Amazon MGM merger. The acquisition mm -hmm. that had happened. I think there was some issue. Like if that goes through, then that could affect how discovery, the discovery merger is perceived and all that. So oh, you know what I've heard some people yeah. want is some people think, and I maybe I'm wrong on this, but I had do remember hearing something that like 
or maybe I'm just making this up, but until it's a done deal, does doesn't that mean anybody else can come in and bid for discovery if they want to? I don't think so. I think the deal's or already kind of pretty locked in up. place. It's pretty okay, locked cool. up, yeah, and it's just going to they already have everything just coming together. I mean Well, Discovery's price came all the way back to like twenty one, twenty two dollars a share, which I think was crazy. And I'm I'm actually like kicking myself that I didn't get into it when it came back because that high free cash flow yield thesis that I had is, is still there. Uh mm-hmm. but now it's already back up to like thirty and I'm a little nervous that I kind so of So what's preventing up. you from averaging up? Because well it's I sold still, out totally yeah. so I'm not in it right now. Um okay. p- part of it is uh I've been into Tencent. Um I do have a holding Green Brick Partners which is like a home building company. Um seems to be a growing company. Um seems to have a lot going for it, a lot of insider buying, but my conviction has dropped in that lately just because it feels a little bit too outside of my core circle of competence versus discovery. I kind of get honestly with discovery and maybe it just takes two hours of work, but I'm, I've had a problem picturing uh, what that company is going to be worth when it combines with the Warner assets. And maybe it's because we don't know what it's going to be worth uh, until it starts trading on the market. But uh, that whole, merger thing it's just been different it was just different i i don't have experience with that happening my my experience with mergers is one company comes in and says hey we're going to buy a company for ten dollars a share it's trading at five and you're like okay when it, they buy it it's going to be people are saying it's worth ten dollars a share i'm having a little trouble with that and the other thing that scares me away a little bit is um there is a ton of debt uh i think that is coming with warner and then even though me personally I would choose HBO Max versus these other companies, Netflix and Disney Plus. Man, those are big companies and they have very lenient shareholders. And it just, Netflix has been so quiet lately. I just feel like maybe they'll get aggressive and I don't know if I want to compete with them. And another thing that bothers me is John Malone talks a lot about not focusing on the super app and maybe they do that, but having a lot of different options. Like you can buy CNN itself and pay $1 a month, but you have to get some commercials. And to me, mm-hmm. that doesn't seem that attractive. That doesn't seem like the future of a uh, TV. And that doesn't seem like a cool differentiated product, like the super app there where, where almost every household in America pays like 15 bucks a month or something, because there's something for everyone in the house. And they kind of do that Netflix model. And honestly, the, the final thing that scares me is, uh, the content business in the streaming era, it just seems tough. Like it seems like you're always throwing a lot of money at it. Um, it's just, man, when it got down to $21 again, I was like, that's the legacy seems, content that is, has a lot of value. That's, that's true. One reason I subscribe to HBO max is because, uh, is because Sopranos are on there. Um, and I know they might be in other places, but um, I just like having ownership, if you will, that way uh, to be able to watch anytime I want. Karan, do you watch the Sopranos? I don't know. I don't watch TV surprisingly. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a great American uh drama. Jack, have you watched that series? I actually have not. I'm like Karan, I barely watch TV. It's all it's all YouTube and then uh 
during the baseball season, a good amount of baseball. I'm just keeping up with Brad's videos, like you know, like yeah, right. <laughs> Someone made a comment uh, earlier about Brad's recent uh, Bitcoin video about um, Bill Miller and Bitcoin. Yeah. Interesting mm-hmm. video. One of the things he said was that uh, someone asked Bill Miller why he likes Bitcoin over gold. And at least my understanding of Brad's uh, reporting on the answer. So this is like third, fourth hand now is that Bitcoin has gone up more than gold in the last decade. And therefore that makes Bitcoin more attractive. I didn't really get that. (laughs) Um, But it was an interesting video. I love when people make that argument for anything. Like it's gone up in the past 10 years. It's like, so what about the next 10? And like, yeah, it's always hilarious that that's a selling point. I always hear it on like all the ads, the the highest performing financial asset of the last decade. It's like, uh, okay, thanks. (laughs) What's up stock compounders. Brad here. You guys, do you guys prefer that one? Or do you prefer the yo, 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 what is up stock compounders? (laughs) Brad in the hizzy. (laughs) Welcome to compound town. (laughs) Does Brad own Bitcoin? We don't know. I'd be surprised. You never disclosed it. Yeah. I'd be surprised, but um, he seems to be intrigued with the space. I would say that's fair. He's, I think he's done. I think a it bit. was after he the guy's interview. Yeah, that, that triggered like the. Oh, the guy's feels like a hundred bucks, doesn't he? It's like that. Is it, I don't know, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. I, like I will that. say yeah. this: uh, I'm reading a great book about Peter Thiel right now called The Contrarian, and there's a very interesting theme with uh, things like PayPal like Bitcoin, like gold, it seems to be a human concern about fiat currency. Mm-hmm. Like humans are always going to have that concern. Yep. And whether it's a valid concern or not, it seems like every 20 years, something will come along. And the pitch will be that this is outside of governments. Governments can't print this currency away. They Apparently they were talking about PayPal like that in the beginning. And uh, man, if it does seem like that's a pattern. And I feel like now it's very easy to say this because we've all seen what Bitcoin does, but I feel like now I would be tempted to go in like a one or 3% position wherever there's something like a bunch of energy in that space where people are making that pitch. And it seems like there's a crazed cult like atmosphere because it seems like when it catches on it, it really does catch on for a long time. And it's so easy to justify making like a one or three percent bet because you're like, I'm going to compound at twenty percent anyway this year. What's one or three percent? But uh, easy, easy to say now, of course. But that, uh, I am understanding the argument more. That's basically what I'm doing. I'm throwing a uh, hundred or I think two hundred bucks now per month. Yeah, but, but but Brad, it ain't a okay. I thought I thought you were going to say uh, it was. Uh, sorry, Brad, uh, Jack. I thought you were going to say you were doing that with all your investments. You're throwing three <laughs> yeah. percent. for a while, yeah, it was one percent here, five thousand to one. It was, was like for a while. I was like, Jack, it ain't going to be Foot Locker. That's not going to be the the five thousand no. <laughs> one. No, definitely not. Um, but to to that like Peter Peter Thiel like twenty year cycle thing, but what. What always what always seems to end up happening with just how currencies work is maybe you have something backing the currency that's what we had for most of human history, but then you have something in front of the currency that's actually used day to day like money, and that's what te- it's still they find ways to abuse that or you just get into all these derivative territory this derivative territory and it's it's not as though having something backing the currency will suddenly rid us of all problems like people are already trying to do that with with Bitcoin they have 
different sorts of cryptocurrencies that are all centralized in front of it with Bitcoin backing. It's like, okay, how much are you really helping right here? That's very close to what we had with the gold standard in the US. You had dollars in front of it with gold theoretically behind it. But even that was abused because you could, the government could like arbitrarily pick the price of gold. So like you run into problems even when you have backings and what comes out of the fiat system if it doesn't just stay fiat for the rest of our lives. Uh, I'm not sure if it goes back to anything like that, but probably because that's what's been, that's what's been the, uh, the sort of status quo up until basically like 1970, really kind of before that, once the fed became a thing, <laughs> it was still technically gold back. That's when kind of all the, uh, uh, abuses started, started happening. If, if you want, if you want to call it that <laughs> Yeah, real Warren Buffett says bread is, uh, He's busy selling NFTs right now. <laughs> yo, yo, is. yo. He can sell that part of it. He can sell the what is up stock compounders part. You get to own that that call out on each video he does. You get to own that one. <laughs> you get to own that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he sells his intros. <laughs> or the, the URL to the MP4 file of the of the of the of the uh, I gotta say. Intro. My favorite, uh, one of my favorite things about Brad's videos are his backgrounds. Uh, they seem to be different quite often. Yeah. And he, he did this epic one uh, when he was on vacation uh, where he was like posted up at a villa somewhere. And uh, it just made me want to watch the video. It was great. I don't know if I remember that. I, I, the oh, one I remember excellent. most distinctly is it was like real late at night when he was filming. Clearly it was super dark. And he, he had like a, basically like a, I think it might have just been the screen, like lighting his face. So it's in, it's like this vibe. Yeah, yeah. It was like a campfire vibe, and it was really <laughs> funny. Like he's out in the middle of a forest with a campfire. He's like <laughs> unintentionally like an amazing like YouTube YouTube producer from that aspect. Yeah, like, it, like that the vibe. Aspect. It's a cool yeah. vibe that he has. It's like it's like low effort but good. <laughs> so yep. so it works. Uh, and and he's and he, he's proud of it. He's proud that he's an edit. Uh, guys i don't spend my time on the editing guys (laughs) i focus on the content the real thing we're we're all learning from guys that's what i focus on you got you got a pretty good brad i got a pretty good brad i have a good double speed brad because that's how i listen to him (laughs) so now brad brad speaks on the same uh words per minute as me that's for sure yeah yeah all right. I think that's a good spot to wrap it up. We're an hour and a half now, and I'm trying to get to bed. It's it's late for us here in this here yeah, on US Central Time, Jason. And yeah, I think I'm gonna go watch, uh, watch a house hunters <laughs> with my wife and uh we'll think about how we're giving Quran all our money as one of his customers. Why are you not buying Discovery again? We never got to that. <laughs> well, because uh because we're we gonna go on another fifteen minutes. Because <laughs> I because I, yeah. I well, because l- listen, like twenty-seven percent of my portfolio is uh, te- is a uh, process now. Twenty percent is Apple. I've got this stuff in Ring Energy and and uh, uh, Pedevco, which is like oil, and I'm I'm waiting for that story to continue playing out. Um, you know, you got me curious. I'm just gonna pull up my portfolio Have you real quick. Seen the uh, MOI presentation, the new presentation that's out. No, what what is that? For who? Send it to you. Yeah. Send it to me, please. Yeah. Is this for a presentation on discovery? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It'll help with the part that you were talking about. And the so, okay. So I'm going to look at that. I'm I'm open to it. Um, and I know you don't have to sell all your all your stock to buy something else, but I got a huge position in Racist in Turkey. 
Don't feel like selling that. How's um, that going? What kind of question is that, Karan? What a rude <laughs> question. Um, honestly, the, I, think, I, I think the... Uh, you can the buy some stock. donor with probably the funds that remain, you know, like just get like a nice Turkish... I, uh, the, the the business is doing just fine. That's that's what's going on with that. Um, and and the value is intact. The the but, stock is actually up forty percent, thirty percent since I bought, and the currency might be down like fifty fifty five percent. So that's what's going on with that. Already, already, boys. That's you can you share site to track your <laughs> Yeah, hey, the, we have a link to share site for all you have campers who are still with us. An hour, an hour thirty five into it now. Um, and you can see our portfolio it hasn't done too well over the past couple of months. But if you uh, sign up using that link, you can get uh, a few months free uh, for their premium version. So go ahead and check that out. Um, ShareSite.com forward slash punch card investing. Um, otherwise, smash that like button as as you find folks always do. We appreciate it. Subscribe if you haven't already by chance and hit the bell icon so you don't miss any future notifications. And uh, yeah, that's all I got. Thanks for joining us again, Jason. And otherwise, I'll see you all soon. Take care. <clears throat>